Joshua chapter 1, we did the introduction last week, and we looked at what Joshua is, the kind of, the kind of literature it is, and the kind of um, rhetoric that Joshua uses. So you're going to be reading like land-grant treaty accounts, you're going to be reading ancient Near East battle summaries, you're going to be reading all of these things that are um, t- typical of the time that Joshua was written in how ancient Near East cultures would describe their victories. And they would use hyperbar- hyper- not hyperbaric, hyperbolic language like utterly destroy, wipe out everything that has breath in it when actually they didn't mean that literally and their readers never took that literally because later you find accounts of what to do with the people who are still remaining after everything with ball breath has been wiped out. So obviously it's not a literal statement but rather it's a rhetorical statement meant to describe the destruction and the driving out of the people and particularly the worldview of Canaanite fertility cults. And that's what God, all the way since Genesis, has been commanding and preparing Israel for, is you are going to be my instrument of judgment on the particular peoples of Canaan who have rebelled against me and and have gone into such levels of depravity that judgment now is the only option that remains. And so that is what Joshua, Joshua is, it's two sides of a coin. Joshua is salvation. His name literally means Yehoshua. Um, It means one, Yahweh saves. Moses, his, his real name was Hosea. Moses called him Yehoshua or Yahshua or Yeshua. And, it, and we get that translated Joshua. The Greek translation of the Old Testament translated the name of this book, Jesus. And that is exactly the name Jesus. Jesus' name is Joshua. And so <clears throat> the salvation, it's, a, it's very archetypical because the salvation for God's people has always been the flip side of the coin of the judgment on God's enemies. You can't, there's rarely one without the other, especially in terms of Old Testament and pointing forward to the final judgment. A day of, the day of the Lord, the prophets say the day of the Lord will be a day of darkness and not light for the people who are on the opposite side of the Lord. But for the people who are on the side of the Lord, who have been oppressed, who have been destroyed, who have been crushed, who have been persecuted, it'll be a day of vindication. And so there's vindication for those who are God's people and judgment for those who are God's enemies. That's the day of the Lord. Well, Joshua's account is that in microcosm on the particular peoples of Canaan. And later, Babylon will do the same thing to Jerusalem itself. So this is how God works. It's cyclical. You can see it throughout the pages of Scripture. and It all points forward to final judgment in terms of um, the paradigm. But let's, let's take a brief tour, just a few minutes through the first chapter, and then we're going to, again, to those watching the video, video our elder statesman of the group, uh, McLean Hall, he passed away in his 90s. And he had an amazing life, and his funeral was going to be at 1 o'clock, so that's why we're doing this early, so that those of us who knew him and loved him can get over there and celebrate his life. And, um, but we also still want to honor this Bible study and the people that follow along and that drove over here on your lunch breaks. So Joshua, chapter 1, and it's very fitting after what I just said. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am giving to them. NIV says about to give. It's actually a present tense in Hebrew. I am giving to them, to the Israelites. And then it switches in Hebrew to a past tense. NIV says I will give, but literally in Hebrew it says I gave you every place where you will set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert which is where they are, the, the, the west, east of the Jordan, to Lebanon, that's far north, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea of the west, that's the Mediterranean. 
No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. God's installing now. Joshua is ready to take the people into this thing that they have been preparing for under his leadership for 40 years, his, his, his uh, aid to Moses' leadership, I should say. For 40 years, they've been getting ready and hearing of this promised land, hearing of this fabled. These are, these are epic names. The Great River, the Great Sea, the land of the Hittites. The Hittites were the third major empire in the world at the time. We don't hear much about them. Uh, because Egypt and Assyria and Babylon, and those are the ones that are kind of the big players. But the Hittites was a major empire in what's modern-day Turkey, and it extended all the way down to northern Palestine area. So the land of the Hittites has an epic ring to it. Uh, they've come out of Egypt. They're going to possess this land that has belonged to the Hittites all the way to the river, uh, all the way to the sea, rather, <laughs> and then all the way to the great river, the Euphrates, which is the territory for Assyria and Babylon, those countries. So this is a grandiose statement that Israel is about to now enter into this land, and God has already given it. And that's the key. God has already given it to them. They have to now actualize their ownership. And in the ancient Near East, one of the ways when you did a land grant, a sovereign would grant land to his, uh, his vassal, it would say frequently phrases like, everywhere you step your foot, everywhere the sole of your foot touches is your land. And sometimes kings and vassals would even walk through the land or symbolically walk through the land, meaning this is my deed of ownership. As I walk in this land, everywhere I'm walking is now mine because my sovereign has given it to me. And, and later that would be condensed down to the description of a sandal or a shoe. And there would be something done with a shoe or a sandal, which meant basically this is a legally binding agreement. And it traces all the way back to that where you step your foot, that is now your land if it's given by the sovereign. So God is doing this to Joshua, to the covenant people of Israel, saying, now everywhere you step your foot. <clears throat> but here's the kicker. This is, this is grace. God has given grace. He said, the land is yours, I've given it to you. But here comes the kicker now. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. He's going to say this three times, those two words. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law, and that would be Torah, Deuteronomy, the bulk of what we know of as Torah. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. NIV again translates this as meditate on it. That is not the word. The word means mutter. It means to mumble. It means to almost whisper as you're reading aloud. Jews, Orthodox Jews in Israel to this day do this. The three of us were just there last uh, spring. There was a room that was, they were doing nothing but praying for the Gentiles 24-7, a group of Orthodox men. And they would sit there and they were, and they were reading it out loud, muttering. That's what this is talking about. Muttering it, meditating it. It's not just think about it, read it once and have a devotional thought. No. It is meditate, mutter it, let it roll over you, repeat it, say it out loud. That's why it says it's on your mouth. Meditate on it, not using the uh, image of the eye. So do not let the law depart from your mouth as you mutter on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. That's the other key. It doesn't matter if you say it all day. It doesn't matter if you read it all day. It doesn't matter if you mumble it all day. If you don't do it, it's useless. It's useless. Your knowledge is not salvific. It's how you live as God's covenant people. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong, third time, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will give, be with you wherever you go. This is the theme of the entire book of Joshua. This paragraph, chapter 6 through chapter 9, is the theme of the book of Joshua in microcosm. The rest of the book is going to play this out. When Israel does everything the Lord commands as His covenant people, He is with them and their enemies cower before them. When they do not do what He commands and openly reject it, even a small part of them, like we're going to see with a guy named Achan later, or you know him as Achan, then there will be penalties and they will suffer. It's all going to bear out. And when Gentiles, when Canaanite Gentiles do the things of the covenant, when they accept the God of Israel and they turn to the God of Israel and they put their allegiance to the God of Israel, they are spared and treated as Israel. And their name is preserved forever in the record of Israel. That, again, cuts against the grain of how most people see Joshua as a nationalistic, ethnocentric military book. It's not. It's covenant-centric. It's faith-centric. It's obedience to Yahweh-centric. But it's never ethnocentric. Keep that in mind as we go through this book because there's going to be some disturbing-sounding passages that sound very ethnocentric if you rip them out of the whole context of Joshua. So, then quickly, Joshua is ready. Uh, he's, he commands, it says, Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. This is military imagery. Officers of the people, go through the camp, get your supplies. This is military imagery because remember, Israel is God's army now. They're no longer just a camp of nomadic slaves roaming around. Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and these are the ones whose land is already settled on the east side of the Jordan, remember that from the book of Numbers, Joshua said, verse 13, remember the command that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you. Yahweh your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land where they are. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers, over ahead with your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he's done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they, everybody, not just the Reubenites and the half-tribe, but everybody, answered Joshua, Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, that's questionable, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your word, and that's the same word for the people who rebelled against Moses and Aaron and Miriam in the desert. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So the people are on board. They're ready to go into the land. The time of lethargy, of, of camping around and moving around in the wilderness is over. They're ready. 600 years is coming to fruition now of what's going to happen. And in three days, it all begins. So this is the key moment. This is the Braveheart riding up on the horse with the blue face paint moment, telling the people, get ready, be strong. And then this is them responding, yeah, right? They're all ready. It's about to happen. And then there's going to be an interlude. 
And there's going to be a fascinating story that takes place before they actually go and take the land. And that story is going to turn all their assumptions on their head, at least for us as a reader. But we can't get into it because today we have to cut it short. We have a funeral for our dear friend to get to. And so anybody who's here who did not get a chance to grab lunch, please come get it. There's to-go boxes in the back. Anybody that comes in in a few minutes, because uh, we are definitely moved things up, but it's because it was an important day. So thank you guys for coming, and we'll see you next week, Joshua 2. Have a great week.